Hey guys, just a quick little announcement here that isn't worth knowing. I'll be starting a new format for episode 3 and onwards dealing with ad segments and breaks. As you've probably noticed in the first episode, there were music breaks between sections. I'm going to continue with that, but that's all it will be. I won't be doing mid-roll ads for this podcast as they really aren't professional in my opinion. The new format starting on the new episode will be a pre-roll ad segment if there is a sponsor and then one again after the episode ends. Also, I set up a new pop filter and tried a different cadence for this episode, so please bear with me while I try to get my life situated here. Uh, That's that. Let's get on with the show. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the fairest of them all? The answer, of course, is not bleak. It is not one strong and not one weak. The fairest name, you shall speak, hangs here before me, after all. Hello and welcome. My name is Tanner, and this is not worth knowing. Today, we will be covering ancient, medieval, and modern histories of the mirror. It is safe to say that not a single person in a first world country is able to go a full day without being exposed to a mirror of some sort. But over time, our definitions of mirrors have changed. Throughout most of human history, we have been obsessed with our own reflections ever since prehistoric humans have learned that flat, motionless water gave a near-perfect reflection of that which hangs above it. This infatuation is a base for many mythologies around narcissism, most notably the Greek myth of Narcissus. This should give you at least a rough timeline of how long we as humans have been aware of reflections. From the creation of pottery, humans no longer needed to travel to a body of water or wait for rainfall to see our reflections. We could fill a dish or bowl and keep this mirror in our homes for weeks until it began to evaporate. The evidence of these dishes comes from both archaeology and literature, which expresses the use of this method dating thousands of years ago. The earliest archaeological evidence of a manufactured mirror, which in this case is a mirror that does not rely on water, dates back to 6000 BCE, which are shards of polished obsidian. These pieces of volcanic glass were found in Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey. The next evidence that we see comes from Mesopotamia and Egypt between 3 and 4000 BCE, where they used polished pieces of copper. Think about this for a second. These civilizations not only knew about the smelting of ores, but they turned them into, of all things, mirrors. It isn't worth knowing, of course, but it goes to show just how different humans are from other animals. From 2000 BCE in China, mirrors began being created from polished bronze, and this style of mirror was commonplace throughout the Middle Ages in Europe. To show just how widespread these were, even servants in Roman households had their own polished silver mirrors. Of course, 
I should point out that there was, in fact, a class divide. The wealthy had access to the expensive alloys of copper and tin. These were incredibly reflective for the time, and by proxy were very difficult to manufacture. These mirrors that were made of bronze and copper tended to tarnish quickly, and they needed to be polished regularly. Even with regular polishes, they did not reflect the entire color spectrum, and they showed a darkened image. A piece of information here that you can live without is that this is where we can understand the biblical reference from 1 Corinthians 13, quoted, as in a mirror, darkly. There wasn't a major advancement in the reflective world until the first century CE, where we first see the use of glass as we know it to stare into our own eyes. A Roman scholar wrote of artisans in Sidon, which is modern-day Lebanon, who used panes of glass in front of a pane of lead or gold to reflect an image. Unfortunately, there isn't any surviving archaeological evidence of these before the 3rd century CE. A major drawback of these styles of mirrors was that their production method wasn't perfect. Most of the mirrors would end up having distortions in the image, and even these would be outrageously expensive. Because of this, we primarily see the polished metal mirrors being used through the 19th century. The elite continued to demand glass mirrors, and these improved over time with improvements in glassmaking technology. In the Middle Ages, French glassmakers blew glass bubbles, spun them rapidly to flatten them into discs, and cut rectangles out of the center for flat mirrors. In the 16th century, German and Venetian glassmakers would blow a cylinder of glass, cut off the ends, and cut down the length of it. They would then roll this out into a flat pane for flat glass. Also in the 16th century, Venice was known as a mitochondria of mirror production, using a fire gilding technique to coat the glass panes with a highly reflective tin mercury amalgam. These mirrors could reach up to 40 inches, or 100 centimeters, across. These mirrors, which were often fitted into richly decorated frames, were luxury decorations for palaces. These were so expensive that one countess in Europe had traded an entire wheat farm for just one mirror. I suppose it wasn't worth knowing the size of this farm to the historian that wrote of this, but I'm guessing it was quite a few acres. Fast forwarding to the Industrial Revolution, an American industrialist created what is called a ribbon machine to capitalize on the production of light bulbs. This machine could turn out thousands of glass bulbs every day. German and French mirror manufacturers took the design of this ribbon machine and altered it to the production of glass panes, which starkly reduced the price and labor required for the production of mirrors. In the modern era, mirror producers began adopting a method of electroplating, which is big science stuff for fancy static makes metal stick to glass. Truth be told, if I went into detail on how this process worked, I'd have to edit it out because that would be worth knowing, not that I don't understand it. 
The metals used to plate glass today are frequently depositions of silver, nickel, or chromium. At this point, you may be asking, Tanner, did these people really go through all of this work for fancy mirrors just to fix their hair? Had you asked me last week, I would have said, yes, of course. If you ask me now, I would probably still say the same thing, but with more sarcasm, just to be facetious. It is abundantly clear that the primary use for a mirror would be an aid to personal grooming. A miniature pocket mirror could help you fix makeup on the go, and the large bathroom mirrors can let you check out that fresh fade. The options are mostly endless in that regard, but let me share some of the other uses for mirrors that would probably slip your mind. If you've ever walked into a large grocery or department store, you've probably seen the large circular mirrors on the ceilings and walls and corners, or maybe even the rounded mirrors on the fronts of buses and trucks. These types of mirrors share the same core uses as a rear and side view mirror on your car, and even the tiny mirrors that dentists use while they criticize your flossing, to see around obstructions. Before radios were common among cartographers and such, people would use mirrors to send signals of light across great distances, like a visual Morse code. Older styles of televisions and modern projectors all use mirrors to help focus the emitted light onto the screen. This can help make them less bulky and therefore less expensive. Curved mirrors are also often used in solar power plants. Again, this helps focus light to concentrate the power that can be collected. Certain towns in the Alps don't get direct sunlight for multiple weeks over the winter, so they use computer-controlled mirrors to reflect sunlight into the town center. A Norwegian city later adopted this concept as well in 2013. On that same note, mirrors can also aid in greenhouses and conservatories in certain climate areas. We can't forget to mention, of course, the infamous disco ball, which wouldn't be possible without hundreds of tiny mirrors glued to a big old ball in the sky. There are literally thousands of examples that I could give for mirrors being used in art and in architecture, or as allegories in film, television, and written mediums that I won't even try to list some, as I just won't do it justice. It isn't worth knowing, but all great apes, including humans, some dolphin species, Orcas, elephants, magpies, and jumping spiders can all identify themselves in a mirror, while all other animal species only see it as another creature. What will you do the next time you look at the man in the mirror? Will you ask him to change his ways? If you thought that this was useless information, good. Thank you all for listening, and be sure to tune in next time for another installment of information you could definitely live without. <laughs>